Welcome to the Bourbon Library, hosted by the Bayless Brothers. A spirited conversation always served neat as barrel proof of our family bond. Grab a glass. The episode starts now. The first thing I wanted to do when I got out of high school was run away from my small town with my girl and my dream. And at the time, that's what I did. I moved to the beautiful city of Chicago. I remember one time at a party between beers, the host offered up some good whiskey unbeknownst to the owner of the bottle. I said, yeah, and she pulled this ice cold bottle of brown liquor out of the freezer and poured a dram for anyone who wanted to try some. Now, Templeton Rye retails for around, let's say 50 bucks, which is pricey, especially for a college kid. When the owner of the Templeton found out that the host was sharing his good whiskey, he was rightfully pretty disappointed. There isn't necessarily a moral to the story, but its importance lies in the moment I took a sip of that Templeton. I thought, well, this is pretty good. And it was really the first time I had whiskey that I genuinely liked. My full-blown passion and interest for whiskey wouldn't peak for some eight years later or so, in which a whole journey and chapter would be put into motion. It would become a way to connect with my dad and brothers over the shared love of whiskey, mainly bourbon. It would become a podcast, and it would become this ever-growing bourbon collection I've got. It would become my community, and would most recently lead me to an Instagram account called Urban Bourbonist, run by a guy from Chicago named Chris, a genuine salt-of-the-earth whiskey-loving guy. I reached out, and he agreed to jump on a call with us. The first thing we asked him about was how he even got into whiskey in the first place. Oh, man. So I got in, I really got into bourbon really only about two years ago. Um, I'd always had, you know, a couple of bottles of whiskey on on the uh, shelf around the bar. And that was always, I always had Old Grandad bottled in bond. And, and Rittenhouse Rye bottled and bond. Those were like my two bottles. And that's like all I had for the longest time. And I was mostly like a, a craft beer drinker. But I sort of just kind of got started getting away from craft beer and exploring uh, whiskey. And then it just became like this gigantic rabbit hole. And a lot of that had to do with my brother too. My brother was kind of the same way, um, started with craft beer and then he started drinking whiskey and I was kind of behind him in that, but he started suggesting things that, you know, Hey, you know, try this, see if you like it, try that, see if you like it. And then it just opened up just, yeah, it's just been a passion ever since. And that was, you know, like two years ago. And now it's just, I just love it. Anyone who's fallen head over heels in love with whiskey understands how he feels. Chris goes on to tell us about how after following several whiskey-focused accounts on IG, he decided to make his own. And that would be Urban Bourbonist. His background in media definitely helped shape the tone and voice of his Instagram and propelled him into doing interviews under the Urban Bourbon Hour banner. Also, his Fresh Pops show and his Sunday Night Fights show, where he and his co-host find two whiskeys that match up against each other and they debate for which one is best. So... Whiskey, it's a powerful thing, and its magic is a beautiful mystery to me. Chris considers some of its magical powers. And you hear people say it all the time, that it's this thing that 
that brings people together. But it really, truly is. It, it's, it sounds like a cliche, but whiskey really is one of those things that anybody from any spectrum of life, I mean, you can get just completely polar opposite people on whatever you, whatever it is. And you can take a bottle of whiskey and put it down on the table. And that just, that just brings everyone together right there. And you can talk about what's in the bottle or you have a drink and everyone loosens up and you just, you just have a conversation that makes everybody feel good. And, and I don't know, there's just, there's something about whiskey that just inspires you to, I don't know, look at people in a more human way. I think, I don't know what it is. Like, I guess you can say that about, about beer and maybe some other spirits, but I really feel like there's something about whiskey. There's something about a, a bottle of whiskey that just brings everyone to the same level, you know? Whiskey can be the great equalizer. Its ability to cause people to set their differences aside or to lubricate a situation is very real. But what whiskey do you put on the table? Is it Jack, old number seven, or something else? The bottle on the table is very significant. And when, and, and, cause it's someone conveying something about themselves to you as well. Like they're, they're communicating that, that you're special or that this is important or that we need to figure this out or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what? I think that might, you might've hit on something there that I didn't really think about. Like when you put a bottle of, of whiskey on, on the table, it does have like, it does feel like it's maybe a little bit more special mm-hmm. um, than just, uh, a can of beer. Now they might be the same price. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of expensive craft beers out there that equal, uh, you know, a bottle of whiskey, but I do think there might be something to that. Like you put that bottle down there and, and people are like, Oh, this is like, this is, he's, you know, bringing out, you know, something that's special to share with me. And maybe that brings people's guards down a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interest. It's very interesting thing to think about it i mean i think i've always sort of maybe had that in the back of my head but you actually saying that kind of makes me think a lot more about that being a real thing okay so what about this conversation you may ask well we're sipping uncle nearest and chris will tell you what he thinks it expresses here in a moment but first a quick word from our sponsor all right Before Chris tells us what Uncle Nearest means to him, here's a quick bit of history on the bottle. According to NearestGreen.com, Nathaniel Nearest Green, or Uncle Nearest as his friends and family knew him, was the first known African-American master distiller. Born in Maryland around 1820, we don't know if he was born into slavery or later became a slave, but what we do know is sometime around the mid-1800s, he began working on the farm of a country preacher and distiller in Lincoln County. Nearest was a skilled distiller, specializing in a process that gave his whiskey a unique smoothness, known as sugar maple charcoal filtering. Called the Lincoln County process, it is believed by many whiskey and food historians to have been brought in by slaves, who were already using charcoal to filter their water and purify their food in West Africa. Okay, so Uncle Nearest actually mentored and taught Jack Daniel how to distill, and he was the first master distiller for Jack Daniels. And later on, when Jack went on to expand the business, Nearest retired. But many of Nearest's children and grandchildren would work at Jack Daniels for generations to come. 
I would highly suggest watching the short film starring Jeffrey Wright telling the story of Nearest Green. It's unbelievable, and you can find it on the Uncle Nearest website. Okay, so back to our conversation with Chris. What does it say when you place a bottle of Uncle Nearest on the table? So I, I do consider Uncle Nearest kind of like a, a more premium sort of whiskey. It's one of those bottles that you bring out and share it with like a really good friend that maybe isn't necessarily into whiskey, but I feel like, especially like, so I have the 1856. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's an approachable one. It is their, I think it's their kind of mid level product because it's a hundred proof. I think the small batch is a little bit less proof. And then I know they do the, the single barrels. And I think this is one that I would bring out with like a really close friend that even if they are into whiskey, I feel like this is one of those whiskeys that like, it does mean like, Hey, this is a special moment here to sit and have a conversation. Let's drink something that's, that's nice. That's a, a really nice whiskey that would also, I think it, it, I think it appeals to a lot of different palates, like someone that's maybe not into whiskey, I think would, would be able to drink this 1856, no problem. There'd be a good Good thing to kind of maybe step up their, their, you know, whiskey knowledge. Make sure to stick around to the end as Chris will be giving his tasting notes on the 1856. So Uncle Nearest was an unsung hero. His contributions were mostly unknown until around 2016 when his work was substantiated by a bunch of archaeologists and journalists and historians. This made me ask Chris about an unsung hero in his life. This is what he said. I definitely think my mom and, and to say unsung hero, I guess that, but I feel like sometimes moms are sort of just like, they are the unsung heroes of families, you know, especially like, you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but when I was growing up, it was more of like, you know, your dad goes out and goes to work and your mom's at home, you know, taking care of the kids. And, and I do feel like it at times, like, you know, housewives were looked at like, you know, what are you, you know, what are they doing? Well, they're doing pretty much the most important job there is. They're raising the children of, you know, the, the country and of whatever family. And, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, the, the, the mom's job is not, you know, just kind of forgotten, like all the hard work that, that mothers do for, for their, their kids. And I, I lost my mom when I was pretty young. So not, I was like 20, early twenties when I lost my mom. So I didn't get, you know, all of this time that a lot of people get, you know, with, with their mother. So to me, that would be the person just because also I feel like, you know, my time got cut a little short with her. So mm -hmm. yeah. Cheers to all the great mamas out there. Yeah, our mother is a very big, big figure in our life as well. Um, and I mean, thankfully she's still with us, but she, uh, <laughs> she's sort of like bourbon, passionate about bourbon by proxy, just because like <laughs> doesn't have a ton of options. And it's just kind of amazing how, but she, in my mind, she loves it so much because of the connective stuff. Like she sees that. She's emotional. I don't think she even likes drinking it that much. But <laughs> I, I think it's just this idea that it is like, yeah, it's sort of, <laughs> she realizes what it does for us and our relationships. Um, that's yeah. a great unsung hero. I think that's, I think, kind of, I think you can't, there's not enough songs to sing 
to make moms and on some heroes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. They, and, and, um, I, I like what you said about your mom, like recognizing, like she probably saw like the connection that, that grew between you guys and your father five years ago when, mm-hmm. when, uh, you kind of all came together around whiskey. So that, that's pretty cool. Here we are again, speaking on the power of whiskey, but where do its origins lie? I asked Chris if he remembered the first time he had whiskey. His answer paints a vivid picture. Ah, the first time I had whiskey, yes. I can remember. It would be, it's funny that you're making me go back to this memory, but I went right back to this memory. So um, my grandparents lived in Aurora, Illinois, and uh, they had uh, like a partially finished basement in in their house. And like, that's where we would go and hang out when we went to my grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. And they had this old rickety bar back in the corner of the basement, had, you know, their liquor bottles back there. And, and my grandfather worked for a vending company. So they had this old fridge back there that was always filled with every kind of soda you could imagine, every kind of candy bar you could imagine. So oh, that was yeah. like the hangout place. Yeah. And I remember my grandma would drink Manhattan mm. and at that bar in my grandparents' basement, she had a Manhattan at the bar, you know, one, you know, family holiday or whatever it was. And then Chris went in there and snuck a little, <laughs> a little, a little sip off of that. And my grandma saw me and she was like, <laughs> kind of gave me the side eye, but that's all a little bit of a side eye kind of like a knowing wink almost, you know, from, from my grandma. That is the, that's the first time I had um, an experience with whiskey. And I, I gotta say, I didn't, I uh, didn't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I never knew that, like, I never became a whiskey drinker until, you know, pretty recently, but that was my, that was my first experience. And she always had those electric red, you know, cherries mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in her uh, Manhattan, you know, um, not like the Luxardo, just the old school, bright electric red cherry in, in her uh, in her Manhattan. So that's yeah, that's funny that you. Thank you for for uh, bringing me back to that memory. Actually, as he told that story, I couldn't help but want a Manhattan. I could almost taste the one he describes. I, I would probably kill for one of those Manhattans, you know, today because I bet like I bet it was awesome. Uh, and uh, I'd love to know what she used to to make it, but unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, I didn't recognize any bottles back in the day. This had me thinking: Does this first encounter with the brown spirit have any long-lasting effect on Chris's future whiskey preferences? It's 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 interesting because I mean I don't know if this has anything to do with that, but like cherry is a flavor that is really prominent to me that I pick out in in whiskeys a lot when I, when I drink them, um, maybe it goes back to grandma's, uh, maraschino cherry in, in her Manhattan. I, I, you know what? I would like to think that it does. Let's say for our purposes, it totally does. I've been fortunate to be able to have, like help a store here in Chicago, sort of build a single barrel program. So I've been able to do a number of single barrel picks, but like you said it about your dad, like not being able to, to pick out, you know, a flavor or something. Well, I'll, you know, take one of these single barrel picks to my, my in-laws that live close to here, my wife's parents. And, um, I'll, 
always bring it and like have my mother-in-law and father-in-law try it. And my mother-in-law loves it. She can, she's, she's picking out flavors that I never even, you know, picked out of the whiskey or that I never, you know, didn't recognize. And then I'm like, Oh my God, that, yeah, that is <laughs> like, I am getting that. And then my father-in-law is like, he can barely even drink it. Like, it's like, you know, it's so hot. I can't, you know, I can't even drink. It's can't even drink this. Like, you got to tell me what I'm tasting. Um, but it's funny, like, and that's another like kind of family connection with, with, with whiskey that, that I've been fortunate to, to have over the past like year or so, like having, you know, like my mother-in-law and father-in-law try those, uh, those single barrels and, and see their reactions to them. And then like my mother-in-law is like really into kind of like into whiskey now. Mm. You know, she's got a bottle of, she went out and bought a bottle of wild turkey 101 to have on hand. <laughs> so I think that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Ah, the whiskey bug strikes again. I had to ask, what was the whiskey that set Chris off on this whole journey? Yep. That, <clears throat> that bourbon for me was E.H. Taylor small batch. So I, you know, had been, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to go down this road and start trying a few different things. And I had, you know, I went outside of the old Granad bottle and bond and Rittenhouse Rye and had a few other things. And I was lucky to get E.H. Uh, e. Taylor small batch. And when I tasted that, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, this is, this is some really, really good whiskey right here. And this is, so this is what, this is what, you know, whiskey can be. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's keep exploring this. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was the one to me that like, this kind of like got my attention and, and sort of started me really down the path of trying different things and seeking out opinions from other people. And, and, uh, yeah, that, that's, and that to, the, to this day, that is, that's one of my, that's one of my favorites. That's up there as like a, always want to have one of those if I can. Now, it's not always easy to come by, um, but I, that, that's the one for me. And as promised, here are Chris's tasting notes from Uncle Nearest, 1856. I get like, and this is, this is specifically about the, um, the 1856. This one to me is like, it's kind of this spicy, fruity, floral. Um, and there's even like, there's kind of like a, I don't know how to, how to describe it. It's sort of an herbally grassy kind of mm. whiskey to me. Like I get this, I get this hay note from, from this uncle nearest 1856. Some people might not like that, but it's kind of a more of like an earthier kind of whiskey to me uh, with the florals, with the, the herbalness. It definitely is, is um, there's a good amount of sweetness to this, but it's got that nice bit of spice on it as well. Um, so overall, this one to me is more of like an herbal floral kind of, kind of whiskey with, with just those pops of, of uh sweetness to it for me that's 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 kind of how i um taste this 1856 i i really like this one a lot it's it's really a it's a nice whiskey and lastly i wanted to know what's next for urban bourbonist 
Is there a ceiling on this whole thing? Exploring outside of just bourbon and rye in American whiskey. So I, I recently have also taken a huge deep dive into American single malt mm. and seeing what that is, is all about. Um, and there's so many good ones out there. But in terms of whiskey, yeah, that's just kind of trying to expand my palate into different kind of flavor profiles. Um, and as far as like the uh, Instagram page and, and I, I want to continue to do like the, the interviews and things that, that I've been doing and, and um, really just kind of, again, do things that I like that, that are resonating with me at whatever whatever time and, and writing about them either for that website or, or just doing posts on, on my page and, and just kind of diving deeper into different areas of, of this vast whiskey landscape. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully people like it. I feel like we're just researchers and <laughs> there's a lot of research to be done. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. And they're just uh, like new stuff to research every day. <laughs> Wherever you are in your research, I'd like to challenge you to think back to when you had your first sip of whiskey and ask yourself how it may have impacted your future. Thanks for listening. I'm Alec Bayless, and this has been another episode of the Bourbon Library. Until next time, to drink is to live. Thanks for listening to our show. If you like what you heard, kindly take the time to rate and review our show wherever you're listening. It will help us grow and make more episodes. Remember to follow us on Spotify and tell your friends about the Bourbon Library. Do you have a bourbon you think we should try? Let us know and we might just feature it on a future episode. And we'll be sure to give you a shout out. If you're listening from Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts, turn on those notifications so you know when we drop a new episode. All right, bourbon lovers, until next time, to drink is to live.